If you would, open up your Bibles with me to the book of James. Good to see you, James Connor. Uh, The book of James, chapter 1, verse 19 through 26. Book of James, chapter 1, verse 19 through 26. Last week, Tony spoke to us on uh, the trials of life and how God uh, uses the trials of life to perfect us and to prepare us for the larger trials of life that are indeed coming. Uh, What I want to do tonight is I want to pick up where he left off last week. And so I've entitled this message, Triumph in the Trials. Everybody say triumph. Say it like you mean it, triumph. All right, triumph in the trials. So we'll pick up and I'll read here, James chapter one, verse 19. I'm reading out of New King James. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear Slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in all that he does. In verse 26, if any among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Let's pray. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for your presence in our life. We thank you for your love for us, Father. Uh, We thank you for your word that your scriptures say is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, God. We pray your word would deepen in us all tonight. Bring us uh, understanding, bring us wisdom, bring us revelation, God. May we walk out here more connected with with you and your word than, uh, than ever before, God. So we just submit this time to you and just ask that you would be near to us all tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So what we're looking at here to begin with is the word trial. And if you want to look at the word trial, you need to look back at James chapter 1, verse 2. It's a verse that we're all familiar with. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various what? Trials, okay? Trials there, when you, when you start to define this word and look it up and go a little bit deeper, it's talking about a putting to proof or a place of proving, a putting to proof or a place of proving. Uh, this is, uh, you can look at, it's, it's a testing in your life. A, a trial is a testing. Uh, the, the definition that I really liked was Strong's definition. And it says this, a trial is a place of proving yourself through adversity. If you're taking notes this evening, I'd encourage you to write that down. A trial is a place of proving yourself through adversity. And for me personally, this has never been more applicable in my life as it was about six or seven years ago when I was 28 years old. Um, Before I get to that point, I want to back up a little bit and just share a little bit of my life with you. Is that all right with you guys tonight? 
I want to start when I was 19. When I was 19, I encountered the, the Lord uh, in the back row of a church. Um, and at that point, I knew that I was to give my life and all that I was to him. And I did. And um, I just started running with my whole heart after the Lord, uh, like many of you in this room have done um, as well. When I was 21, um, the Lord called me to Bible college and discipleship school. So I left Texas, which was a bummer. Um, but I, I went to Virginia, and uh, which was pretty cool, and um, moved to Hampton Roads and started Bible, Bible College and Discipleship School. It was a great time. Uh, I spent three years there. When I was 25, I moved back uh, from Virginia to the DFW area and um, uh, went on staff at a church there in the DFW area as a staff pastor. Um, I was on staff there for three years at the church. Towards the end of those three years, um, I uh, felt the Lord begin to just nudge on my heart more and more the call to missions, and more specifically, full-time missions, and more specifically than that, uh, missions to China. Um, uh, Before this, I had been on several short-term trips to different places around the world, including China, uh, various times. And the Lord was just burning in me um, to step out and go full-time missions in China. And so this is um, around the late spring of 2008. During that time, I was also um, in a dating relationship that started around the beginning of that summer. So fast forward through the summer, towards the end, I I leave by myself and I uh, embark and head out to uh, be a missionary in Kunming, China, in the Yunnan province in southwest China, just north of Vietnam. And uh, was living there for several months and uh, enjoying it throughout the end of the summer, through the fall and into the winter. And I had um, flights, uh, tickets back to, to come back for Christmas break. To, for a few reasons. One, to see my family and enjoy the holidays. Also to um, continue to see what the Lord would, um, had in this dating relationship and also to raise funds and those sort of things. Um, and here's the point of where I'm really taking you um, with this background of the story in my life. Um, it was at that time, I had been back for a few months. Um, I, was, I was being a very poor steward of the dating relationship that I was in. Uh, I was not being a good leader of it uh, in in any way, really. Um, And um, the relationship became impure on many different fronts. And, you know, it was just a relationship that uh, it just wasn't honoring the Lord. Uh, It it, it wasn't right. Um, it, It wasn't healthy. Uh, fortunately, I had some good men around me who I was able to uh, bring uh, the difficulties of this relationship to, uh, one of them being Tony, uh, the other being Nick, who you all know, an elder here, and the other being Elias, who is an overseeing elder here and a good friend of mine, and uh, just told them, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and uh, disclosed everything to them, and collectively Um, we decided that it was best for uh, me to take a year out of ministry as a vocation and um, at the end of the year to re-look at things and uh, see what uh, where I was at in my life and and see what um, what the Lord was doing now what I want to tell you guys is up until this point in time I'm 28 years old here you know I started running after God when I was 19. We're talking about nine years, you know, and I always tell people it was like when I started at 19, you know, in the airports, 
um, you know, in the terminals, you've got the area and the space and the halls where you can walk. But then in some parts of it, just to the side, there's the flat escalator that takes you at like that increased speed. You, know, you guys know what I'm saying? Raise your hand if you've, if you've been on those. Raise your hand if you go on those every time. <laughs> yeah, we all love those. And, and that's what I felt like my life was like, is like I wasn't just walking. I had jumped when I was 19 on a faster pace, and it was cool. It was great. It was nine years of a lot of great things, a lot of learning things, a lot of wonderful things that uh, helped shape me and form me. But how many of you know when you're on a fast track, no matter um, what that track is, um, a lot of times you can forget how to dot all of your I's and cross all of your T's. You guys know what I'm saying? And um, that's what happened in my life. And so at 28, I found myself in the middle of, of a huge, huge trial. Um, I found myself in the middle of um, a significant life change. Uh, at that point in time, I, I had to move back in um, with my parents, which uh, some of you are thinking, that's not bad at all because your mom's a phenomenal cook, and you're right. <laughs> um, she is, but uh, when you haven't lived at home in a long time, you have to move back in. There's a lot of pride to swallow there. Also, the one thing that I was really qualified to do to earn a decent living, I could not do for a year. And so um, moved back in with my parents and um, started waiting tables. I also, um, during that season, went back to finish a uh, bachelor's degree at UT Tyler. And so um, I hope I'm painting a clear picture here. I mean, my life was literally fast track. I mean, just steamrolling, you know, through Bible college, staff positions, full-time missionary, very well-funded, lots of fruit while I was in China, going, 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 doing, doing, doing. And then we're talking about 180. You guys following what I'm saying? And so I found myself, and I wasn't really necessarily thinking about it this way at that time, but I was in the middle of a huge trial, approving of myself through adversity, as Strong says. And so later in this message, I want to get back to that story on my life. Um, but James, in the first chapter uh, of his book here, he, he lays out what I feel are, are three very specific things, very important things that I think can help us all be triumphant in the trials that we're facing um, in our life. And I want to take a look at those things um, with you this evening. So if you're taking notes, uh, point one here is this. Tune in your ears and tune out the noise. Tune in your ears and tune out the noise. James calls this being quick to listen. Everybody say listen. Say it again, listen. Man, there is great power in listening. You know, never before have so many things vied for our ear in life. I, I think about from iPhones to iPads to iTunes to Facebook uh, to texting to Twitter, everything. Uh, uh, daily we are bombarded with things that are vying for our ear. If you would, turn with me to Proverbs uh, chapter 5. If you would, Proverbs chapter 5. We'll pick up in verse 1 there. Um, and it, Proverbs 5 here, this is... Um, 
in some ways, the overarching umbrella theme here is about adultery, but there's a specific teaching points within these um, uh, um, verses here that I, I w- really want us to pay attention to that I think are, are um, really pivotal and, and focusing on um, with this point of tuning in your ears. So here we are. Proverbs 5, verse 1 says this, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear. Everybody say, hear. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give honor to others and your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed and say, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. And in verse 13 here, I have not obeyed the voice I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. Nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. Guys, when you're going through a trial, there is nothing, nothing more important than who and what you're listening to. I'm not talking about music necessarily here. Talking about who and what you're listening to. Who has your ear? And guys, I know in this room, in our community, some of you are in the fight of your life right now. And it really, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, but I know that um, there are those who are in the throes when it comes to finances. I know that, that there are those battling through relationship difficulties, marriage difficulties. Uh, some of us are searching for solutions for the, the right way to, to raise our kids the best way. Um, others of us are battling for, uh, uh, through physical health issues. I mean, there's some serious trials that, that are taking place. And if you're not going through a super serious one right now, don't worry. It'll come. But we know this is God proving us to testing, moving us on um, for, for greater things. But the one thing I can promise you is that who and what you are choosing to listen to is shaping your view of your trial for better or for worse. Who or what you're choosing to listen to is shaping how you're viewing, you're interpreting your trial for better or for worse. And what I want to do is, um, I want to, if I can, I want to encourage us in one main area in this topic, and it's this. When you're going through a trial, when you're going through a struggle, when you're going through difficulty, um, I think it's of utmost importance to listen for the voice of the Lord. Listen for the voice of the Lord. It's in that voice where we find comfort. It's in that voice where we find healing. It's in that voice where we find wisdom. It's in that voice where we find direction. We have to tune in our ears to the voice of the Lord and tune out the noise. Um, 
the, I think there's a beautiful passage that illustrates this so well in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. You can turn there if you want to. Um, you don't have to. I'm going to read it. 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 11. Uh, this is the story of Elijah. And Elijah, as many of you know, had defeated the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel. It was this grandiose, huge thing. He's flying high, and immediately after, Jezebel confronts him, and he's running for his life, scared, timid, weak. And he ends up um, out in this cave on the, on the mountainside, and the angel of the Lord starts talking with him, okay? And so that's where it brings us up to um, right here. Um, in verse 11, it says this. The angel of the Lord said to him, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. A still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it. Everybody say, heard it. So it was when Elijah heard it. Don't you think about that scene for a second. It's crazy, man. That scene is absolutely crazy if you put yourself in this position. And the still, small voice came in the midst of what is seemingly chaos And Elijah heard it. He heard that still small voice. And it says this. He wrapped his face after he heard this in his mantle. And he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And then suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. He's whining, he's complaining, he's distraught. You, you guys see this, you, if you know the story, you know this. Um, it's a difficult place. Then the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Sharphai and, and Abel of Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth, every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, through all of the distractions, focused in, he honed in on one thing, the voice of the Lord. And what he gained from honing in, from tuning into the voice of the Lord was a completely different view of his situation. It was a completely different perspective of his situation. It was a completely different vantage point of his situation. What God said is, Elijah, because you were listening to me, because you were tuned in, it was chaos. All kinds of stuff was breaking loose, but this still small voice was there because you were tuned in, you were listening to me because you turned out the noise. I'm going to show you in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of the situation, in the midst of your trial, I'm going to show you how I see it. I'm going to show you my view of it. I'm going to bring you up here to me and I'm going to give you my vantage point of it. 
This changes everything. It changed everything for Elijah, and it changes everything for us. It changes everything for us. What a phenomenal story to illustrate this point. Tune in your ears and tune out the noise. And press your ear in to the heart of Jesus. And he'll give us a vantage point on the situation we're going through that will give us such belief, such hope, such strength. Amen? Tune in your ear and turn out the noise. My second point is this. It's not my point. These are James's points. Uh, he says, uh, be quick to listen, slow to speak. My point is this. Pause before you talk. <laughs> Pause before you talk. I actually had, had written in there, stop pause, think before you talk. Amen? <laughs> um, when I was thinking about this point, it reminded me, and um, this will show um, that the era that I grew up in. How many of you guys are familiar with um, the show Saved by the Bell? Raise your hand if you're familiar with that. And, and in that show, the main character is, is Zach Morris. And Zach Morris had this like supernatural ability in this show to call a timeout. You guys remember that? The Zach Morris timeout? <laughs> Raise your hand if you remember that. Oh man, it's so funny. So what happens is he finds himself in the midst of a situation he doesn't really like. He's in, he's in a tough time. It's a difficult time. And, and he says, okay, timeout. And what, does he do? what is that? What is a timeout? It, Zach's pausing. He's, he's pausing the whole show. Whole show and um, it gives him time to what? To think through the situation before he reacts. Now, he didn't always, when he timed back in, he didn't always act the best way. Um, but, but the point is, is that there is a pause there to be able to uh, react and interact um, in the very best way. James calls this being slow to speak or bridling your tongue. Bridling your tongue. Our words, as you guys know, they have the potential to make a difficult situation an awful situation. make a difficult situation an awful, awful situation. It can be bad enough. The situation can be trying and stressful enough, difficult enough, and then somehow we open up our mouth and it goes from bad to worse. Amen? <laughs> James one twenty six says this, as anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, religious here is it's talking about your service to God, your serving of him. Uh, and does not bridle his tongue, uh, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. The, the tongue is a small thing that makes a very, very large impact. Wars are started with words. Political campaigns are won or lost with words. Marriages can be bolstered or broken from what comes out of your mouth. Our children can be strengthened and encouraged or broken down and disheartened from the words that they absorbed. Dreams can be lost and destinies can be forfeited. I'm serious. You guys have seen it play out in maybe your life and people around you. Our words carry so much weight. There is immense power in our words, which is why it's so important to be a bearer of life with our words, to be a bearer of life and not death. You know, um, 
thinking about just an illustration for this point of the bridling of your tongue. I don't, I don't think there's anything that's um, uh, any area of life that um, you could point out more than bridling your tongue inside of a marriage. Uh, for those of you who, who aren't married, um, you can think about maybe with your best friend or, or your parents. Um, man, it can be so difficult to bridle your tongue with those who you love the most. Amen? Um, uh, I, I was raised by three women in a kind of sort of kind of way. And so um, I, I knew growing up that um, women use more words than men, okay? Some might say women talk a lot, and I'll give you that liberty. Um, but I knew growing up that for every word I was using, uh, my mom or sisters, they could use five or six words for every word I'm using, okay? And so I knew that, that, uh, that women can talk a lot. I was reminded of this yesterday. We were out, uh, our boys were out playing in the front yard, and uh, uh, our neighbor's kid came over. She's an eight-year-old girl, and it wasn't within 10 minutes. And I said, man, you really like to talk, don't you, Leslie? And she said, yeah, I do. And I was like, man, Lord, help me if I ever have a girl. <laughs> But while women might use more words, what I've also learned in being married for almost five years is that men use more of the wrong words. (laughs) Women, can I get an amen? (laughs) Men use more of the wrong words. Like I said, I've been married almost five years and, you know, I thought I was pretty good at this words thing and being quick to listen and and slow to speak. And I found out uh, when I got married that I wasn't near as good as as what I thought. And how many times, more than a handful, when words are flying out of my my mouth, blah, 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 blah. And they're flying out and they're further than arm's reach because you just want to pull them back in and bring them back. and, and, And you know at that point, it's like, it's too late. It's too late. And Andrea gives me that look. And what I do is I go to my bedroom and I sit in timeout. And I wait for her to tell me when I can get out of timeout. I'm kind of kidding. <laughs> kind of not. But our words, they carry so much weight and so much power, uh, especially with the ones that we love the most. And here James, he has to come in and write this about bridling the tongue. It's this illustration of of a horse with the bit and the harness and they put it over the head and the bit goes in the mouth. And how do you know when you put that over a wild horse for the first time, it ain't working. (laughs) It's not working. It takes time. It takes time. And that's why James goes on in chapter three of his book and he he gives an extended uh, um, discussion to the taming of the tongue. The taming of the tongue. And the picture he paints there, it's kind of a bleak picture, but here's the reality, guys, and what he's saying there. Men, women, us, we can't tame the tongue. The tongue is not tameable to us, but God can. God can. And that's what he's saying there in James chapter 3. You can't tame the tongue. Out of one side comes life. Out of one side comes death. But as you submit it to me, as you give it over to me and you walk down this road of bridling your tongue, of desiring to be a person who speaks more life than death, God begins to work. That bits in the mouth like it is in the horse and he begins to pull back on it and it begins to be comfortable. And we begin to understand more and more, hopefully, of when to talk and one not to talk 
of what to say and what not to say. Our words are so impactful. When you think about um, being in a situation where it's a, a trial in your life, it's a really, really difficult season, I just encourage you to examine two things. One, what words are you speaking over yourself? What words are you speaking over yourself? And two, are you listening for the words of the Lord? Are you listening for the words of the Lord and are you declaring his words over your life? Man, that when you're going through a difficult time, it's really, really imperative to take inventory and to know, man, what words am I saying? Am I declaring over my life? Because we, the Bible says we have a worthy adversary, uh, the devil. He's a worthy adversary. You know what his main thing is? He's a liar. He's a liar with words. And before we know it, if we're not tracking right, all of a sudden we're believing words and we're declaring words over our own life that aren't our words, they aren't the Lord's words, but they're his lies. So what I want to encourage you guys is to take inventory of the words you're declaring over your life and continue or start declaring the word of the Lord over your life. Amen? Matthew 12, 36 through 37 says, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account for it on the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Man, it's a heavy thing, our words. It's serious. Life and death out of different sides of our mouth. And when you look back to the beginning, guys, when you look back into creation, who we are, the essence of who we are in the foundations of who we are, we are a declared word. We are the declared words of the Lord. He spoke and we were here. It's a part of our fiber. It's a part of our DNA and who we are. Let's take inventory. Let's hone in on that. Let's pause. Take a Zach Morris time out. Think through your words specifically as it pertains to the trials in your life. Take inventory and speak life over yourself and others. The third thing uh, James talks about is doing the work. Doing the work. Tuning in your ears to the voice of the Lord, being slow to speak, and doing the work. James says this, he says, he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. You know, there is something about getting outside of the situation that you're in and serving and giving that can bring such life to a challenging season. There's something about getting outside of that situation and serving and giving that can offer such great perspective and bring such great life to a situation. And this is what James is talking about here, doing the work. During that year that I moved back in um, with my parents, you know, I, I could have gone all types of different directions. I, I could have been rebellious 
and uh, started to track down the, my own road and, and lived a selfish life from there on out. I mean, it was a very difficult season, um, a, a, as you guys can see for me. Um, uh, but fortunately, I didn't. And what I remember from that season is um, I remember t- continuing uh, to do the work, to do the work of the Lord. And there were three areas that came to my mind specifically. And they were the areas of, of serving in your home, serving in your church, and serving in your community. Serving in your home, serving in your church, and serving in, in your community. Now, my life was flipped and turned upside down. I was back um, living with my parents, but fortunately I had good people around me. My ear was tuned into the Lord by the grace of God and I served. I served my family at home. I I served Tony and Melissa at the time, um, uh, lived next door, helping with the kids, babysitting, whatever. I served my home. I also served in the church. Now, I couldn't work in the church as part of my vocation, as part of my job. So you'll never believe what I did. I went and talked to Brittany Kirkpatrick. <laughs> and I served in kids ministry for a year. And I didn't just serve in kids ministry for a year. I served in toddlers kid ministry for a year. There's a big difference. Big, big difference. Can I get an amen? I went from being paid on a as a pastor at a staff of a fairly large church to serving toddlers. My life was turned upside down. <laughs> but I knew it was just, it was, it was doing the work, continuing to serve, getting outside of my situation. I was serving in my home. I was serving in my church. I was serving the community. Anytime that someone was doing an outreach, I, I was a part of it. Anytime um, any people in the congregation needed grass laid or uh, uh, you know, uh, dirt tilled or whatever, I was going to be a part. I was serving um, those that are around me. I was doing the work. you guys stand up with me tonight. I told you how I was going to come back and, and finish um, with my story that I started earlier. Um, it was a very challenging season and um, lots of things were different. As I said, I, w- I was very grateful to have um, godly people in my life who were encouraging me. Um, by God's grace, um, I was able to uh, stay on the straight and narrow, um, so to speak. And, um, and so I, um, you know, I just went all in and I said, Lord, I don't want to live my own life. I don't want to live selfishly. I I'm in the midst of a difficult situation, but I don't want to do this my way. I want to do this your way. I want to trust in you. I want to hear your voice in this. And I want there to be fruit on the other side of this. And guys, this is what I want to tell you. And I I want this to be such encouragement to you and no matter what trial you're going through, no matter how big or how small. Um, I told you that um, in that season of my life that I went back to college. I had already gone through Bible school and got my credentials and become ordained and all of that, but I had not finished my bachelor's degree. I went back to UT Tyler here and um, a few years later, I ended up getting my bachelor's degree um, in communication, something I never thought I would do, um, something that no man um, on either side of my family had done. And 
the Lord bless me with the opportunity to be able to do that. Um, also, at the end of that end of that year, um, shortly thereafter, I was able to come on staff here at Soma, and that will be five years this coming May um, that I will have been on staff here. Shortly after that. Um, missions organization Modern Day um, approached me about becoming uh, their director, and um, I took that job as well and became the director of Modern Day Missions. Also during that season, and the biggest, greatest, uh, most wonderful thing during that season is um, I got a text message um, in one of those months, and it was this cute little blonde girl who was inviting me to this party. And I thought, well, I, you know, I like parties. It was a good party. And, uh, and you know, the person who's inviting me, it's, you know, that's a pretty cool invitation. So I went to the party. I enjoyed the party. And um, I, I enjoyed the person who invited me. And so um, one thing led to another. That person was Andrea, obviously. Um, and days later, no, it was a couple of months, we were dating. And uh, a couple of months later, literally, we were engaged. A couple of months after that, literally, um, we were married. And nine and a half months after that, we had Judah. <laughs> so guys, I just want to encourage you this evening. And, and you know, James points that he, he brings out, it, it can be very tough to hear. They're very challenging things. But I want to encourage you guys. If you adhere to what he's saying, if you take this book, if you take these principles in James and you listen to it, you absorb it, you apply it, I'm telling you no matter how big the trial, no matter how devastating the situation, the Lord will operate and work his purposes and his plans and they will prevail in your life. Just like the story of Elijah, they will prevail in your life. And you know what? At the root of it, that's what we all really want. That's what we want. We want God's purposes and plans to prevail. We don't want to miss out on anything. We don't want to miss out on what he has for us. And I think if we adhere to his word and listen for the voice of the Lord, I think no matter how big the situation, that we'll be able to find his plumb line, we'll be able to grab hold of his hand, and that on the other end, there will be wonderful, wonderful fruit just like in my life.